When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, July 18th. The Cubs finishing up a three-game set in Arizona against the 27-win Arizona Diamondbacks. The Cubs take two of these games but drop the finale on Sunday. And Brendan, uh, you know, we've got a little bit of baseball to talk about now that we are uh, officially, of course, out of the All-Star break, you know, beginning the second half. And we have trades happening. We've got, you know, more interesting stuff going on at the minor league levels of the Chicago Cubs. And really, at least for our conversation's sake, the circumstances uh, of the Cubs have not really changed. Uh, The Brewers keep winning. The Reds squandering an opportunity to make up some ground there as the second place team. And even though the Cubs win this series this weekend, if you were hoping, uh, you know, for sort of a quick turnaround, make up some ground in the division, that hasn't really happened. So uh, we see some selling the position hasn't changed, so we we find ourselves even after this series in uh, about the same spot, if not uh, you know more clearly on that sell path with uh, Jock Peterson, no longer a member of this team. There are still trends to follow too, even with the other players. Javi Baez, I've been watching him closely, making changes. Chris Bryant has looked good as of late. Adver Alzali has looked really interesting in his last two to three starts so despite them getting rid of jock and despite them not playing competitive baseball in terms of your division there are still so many storylines to follow and so many trends that we need to talk about especially before this deadline coming up so it's still interesting i'm still watching these games closely and trying to find what changes in what trends to follow in the next few weeks here Yeah, so, uh, you know, again, it is July 18th, maybe July 19th, Monday, you guys are hearing this, so, you know, about a little under two weeks, 11-ish days to go until uh, things kind of have to be wrapped up here, so as as has been the case, stay on the ready uh, with your emotions and your your intellectual uh, analysis hats as far as any trades or things like that uh, are concerned, because it can drop at, at any moment. The the Jock Peter, let, let's just start with the Jock trade. You know, I I, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about 
what happened during the D-back series and some other stuff going on, but I don't think, uh, you know, the specific outcomes of those games is necessarily the priority at this point. So let, let's start with the Jock trade, and that was an interesting one, Brendan, because we, we knew that Jock figured to be someone that was going to get moved, obviously on a, a cheap, short-term deal, uh, has a lot of playoff experience, has been very good in the playoffs in his career, uh, was, you know, I would say like just okay, fine for the Cubs through, you know, out, the, out these these few months. So certainly wasn't a like hot commodity uh, at the trade deadline, but for someone who is a veteran like he is, has the pop that he does and has uh, the playoff experience that he does, we knew that he was going to be someone who was likely to be moved. What I what I thought was interesting was, one, the return the Cubs got in uh, high A uh, first baseman Bryce Ball, who's already been playing in the Cubs system this weekend. Uh, but more than that, like this was one of those trades where we didn't hear anything about this until he had been traded to the Braves. Like I was sitting on my phone uh, the other day, and just saw the Braves press release, like, hey, we've acquired Jock Peterson. And up until that, had not heard a single word that anything was close or that something was going to happen. You know, so that, that, you know, and sometimes that's how it is, but it just was sort of interesting, the speed at which that happened. But, you know, I know you're not necessarily an expert on Bryce Ball coming over from the Atlanta Braves organization, Brendan, but I think for an outfielder on a, you know, a short-term deal who had a 718 OPS as a Cub, I, I like, I think this is a pretty solid return. Um, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it signals, of course, that the Cubs are selling. It's kind of the first, uh, you know, move in that direction of, of a player that's, you know, more prominent and it kind of really cements that status. So I, I understood uh, and I felt this way, you know, the reaction like, you know, you're kind of bummed, you're, you know, Jock was a fun player to have for a few months, and, you know, now you're you're also sort of beginning to peel that Band-Aid off, right, of, okay, like, here we go, this is domino number one. So I understood a lot of the, the melancholy, but what I didn't understand was, uh, you know, some folks not necessarily appreciating the return here, like, Bryce Ball isn't, like, amazing, uh, but to get a guy who has the power tool that Ball has, um, you know, which I think grades really well when you read some of the scouting reports and, and things like that, it's a major, major tool, uh, even if it's just one. For an outfielder on a, on a short-term deal that had a, you know, sub-750 OPS and isn't really a great fielder, I, I, I was kind of looking around like, I don't know what you guys expected to get for Jock Peterson, but this seems pretty good if I'm, if I'm, you know, from Jed Hoyer's perspective. I think he did well here. I was surprised they were even able to get back anything worth of value. And it's not because Jock wasn't, you know, worthy of bringing back a prospect, but I was surprised because my expectations have been lower, just given the uncertainty around the COVID ramifications from last year. And, and really just the uncertainty with budgets team-wide and other teams not being willing to give up their prospects for someone like Jock Peterson. So the fact that they're able to get back, which for the Braves was their number 11 prospect, I'm, I'm surprised. So Bryce Ball, and you're right, Corey, I'm not an expert on, on Bryce Ball, but I did look at some video. I think I did. it was pretty weird if you were. Yeah, I've been watching Bryce Ball for three years uh-huh. now. But, uh, but if you look at his, like, his actual numbers... 
they're 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 interesting. Yeah, uh, I think what stands out most to me is is his power potential and his this this size of this He's person. Huge. I mean, he is a mammoth human being. So Fangraphs right now, who knows if this is true, but he weighs two forty. He is six foot six. He is a huge person, and with that size, not every big person is like this, but uh, with that size, Fangrass rates his athleticism as below average. They rate his base running and his defense as below average, but his overall offense, he's mashed wherever he's gone. Fangrass rates his power on on the 80 scale as a 70 raw power. Again, if you look at this as two standard deviations than the rest of his competition. Well, so and, that's, and that's the key for me, Brendan, not to, to yeah. cut you off, but when you're, you know, you're talking about a scale that goes to 80, right? So a 70 yeah. grade power to, even if he's not a good defender, even if all he's bringing is just the ability to hit absolute bombs, right? Like to get someone that has such a highly rated, even if it's just a single tool for a half a season of Jock Peterson coming off a few months where he had a 720 OPS like that feels pretty right. good to me right right it's it's a prospect that's not forgettable right like you're going to remember Bryce Ball this year and next year just because you're you're intrigued by him and his numbers prior to 2021 like this is just rookie ball and a ball but just destroyed those levels in 2019 he had a weighted on base average of 412 he batted 337 Corey with four homers in 90 plate appearances that's just after he made his professional debut in rookie ball which those numbers were insane 13 homers 173 plate appearances batted 324 that's just rookie ball numbers whatever who cares but what's most interesting to me, just besides the power potential, is his ability recently to not strike out and to take his walks. In his last 50 plate appearances, his walk rate, almost 25%. His strikeout rate, under 20%. This is high A ball. His overall numbers on the year before he was acquired by the Cubs in high A ball. He had a weighted on base average of 336. That was carried by his walk rate overall of 19% and his home run rate, six homers in 214 plate appearances, an ISO of almost 190. He only batted 206. That was the issue. That's why his Woba was kind of low. But again, those last 50 plate appearances, you're seeing things change. You're seeing the strikeout numbers go down below 20%, and at least in a professional major league sample size, that's typically indicative of an actual talent change. So who knows if that's true for Hayable, but he is 23 years old, and that's why the Braves were probably willing to part with him, because he is 23. He did struggle a little bit in Hayable, and at that age, you want someone of that, at that age group to just do better right away. And so they're thinking, ah, you know, this is kind of a risk for him. His defense is not that great. He's not that athletic. We need an outfielder now that Acuna went away. Let's just give up Bryce Ball. Let's get Jock Peterson. He's hitting well against the lefties this year, Jock Peterson is. And I get it from Atlanta's point of view. And from the Cubs' point of view, of course, that, that makes a lot of sense. And just beyond this trade, getting Bryce Ball back, it does make you wonder, okay, like what is Chris Bryant's worth? What is Javi Baez's worth? What is Zach Davies worth, even though he didn't play that well today? Maybe the market is actually suitable to get back prospects yeah. from this Cubs core. And that's where I'm thinking. 
Yeah, or I mean, certainly what intrigued me about the value you ended up getting for Jock is the value you might be able to get for relievers not named Craig Kimbrell, right? Because the Cubs have a lot of guys that have pretty solid numbers, uh, you know, even if they're not going to be that transformative piece to another team's bullpen. Uh, you do have a lot of guys beneath Craig Kimbrell and Andrew Chafin who have been solid and probably more solid than a lot of the guys uh, some of these teams are trotting out on a daily basis. The, la- the last thing I want to say on Ball, because, uh, you know, I don't we don't need to spend too much time on him, but um, a lot of people kind of looking at the 2021 numbers, um, you know, a 737 OPS so far, um, in high A ball for someone who's 23, I understand when the trade was made that some people are like, oh, you know, this is, you know, he's not even hitting it. Here's the only thing I'm going to say. Again, I'm going to reiterate that Jock had a 720 OPS, right? So this is not someone who was lighting the world on fire that Jed could kind of dangle out there for the highest bidder, right? Um, but what I want to say on ball is you have to remember, right? He was drafted in 2019. So 2019 was his first professional season. He had an OPS in 231 at-bats of 1,023, okay? Hit 17 home runs. What I what I want to just reiterate, and this is not me saying, oh, this guy's going to be great or anything. I don't know. I've told you guys a million times I'm not the prospect guy. Don't, you know, look to me for prospect analysis. But you got to remember, he didn't play in 2020. There wasn't a minor league season in 2020. So when you're looking at his 2021 numbers, even if the level is low and you'd like to see his offensive numbers better, just remember, this is a guy who was drafted in 2019 and then did not have a professional season the second year, which would have been his first full you know, professional season not having been drafted earlier that year, right? So... I know, you know, like, oh, he's 23, high A, like what, I get it, but you have to remember this context that it has not been a linear kind of situation, and like, he went to college, so he's an older guy, right? So that's that's not to say I, you know, have all this confidence in him or anything, I just think some of the reaction was, oh, they got a guy hitting 203 in high A ball, it's like, calm down, you know, like, <laughs> this is very early in his uh, professional baseball career. He has played, uh, you know, just over 118-ish professional baseball games. So for what Jock put up with the Cubs, what the Cubs had in Jock, I I think this is fine. And and I I was a little surprised, uh, you know, that some people maybe were holding out for more. I, if they if the Cubs were able to get a top 10 prospect in the Braves system, which would have been higher than balls, what I'm yeah. saying, like Jed Hoyer would be pulling robberies on people. I, I mean, Jock just did not perform well enough to get somebody more exciting than this. And I think at, at the very least, there's, you know, something, like you said, Brendan, I think a good word is intrigued. Ball brings something that is at least intriguing in a world where we might have a DH in the NL at some point. So mm-hmm. somebody who has a 70-grade raw power tool, you know, okay, let's see if we can develop yeah. that and just have someone who you turn to to hit bombs. Like, that's fine. Like, that can play a role uh, down the road here. And you don't know to what degree the Cubs scouted them. 
And that's why I bring up his recent plate appearance sample of his last 50 plate appearances, because overall throughout the year, he was striking out a lot, but he's not striking out at a similar rate recently. So were the Cubs scouts there? Did they see that? Did they see the changes that he was making? And you said he is older, but that's because he missed a season in 2020. And from the Braves perspective, that's one reason why you don't feel as comfortable holding on to a ball when Jock Peterson is is right, right. there. So I, I from the Braves point of view, that makes sense. I, I think this was Cubs, a trade that, that made a lot of sense for both sides. For sure. You know, with Acuna yeah. out, the Braves are not too far behind the Mets. And, you know, they, they've, you know, been obviously very competitive these last several years. So the Braves are still in that stage where they're quite hungry to get over that hump. Now, Jock doesn't necessarily do that, um, you know, or isn't like, you know, completely that player that, that fills that gap for Acuna and like puts them over the edge. But they're trying, you know, they're, even though the, the Cubs and Braves had similar records when these deals were made, the context of their seasons is very different. The Cubs are, what, eight or nine games out of first place? The Braves are not, right? So they had a choice to either give up on a season, which is also, at least at the moment, the last season that they have Freddie Freeman under contract, or make a quick move for a prospect that they can probably live without for now, and, you know, keep their season relatively competitive. And I think, you know, Jock has a home run. He had a go-ahead uh, double in the game on Sunday. I don't know if it held up or not. I don't watch the Braves. But um, he's he's injected a little life into them. So I think this works out for everybody. And that's the way these trades uh, should work out. It reminds well, me no, of two— I, the, as we get toward the deadline, I'd like for Jed to be ripping people off, Brendan. Well, but, of course, yeah. of course, of course. Uh but I mean, I, I see I see both perspectives from the Braves' perspective and the Cubs' perspective. And the only reason I bring that up was because there is validity to the notion that yeah, he is twenty three, a high able, but also you, the context that's explaining why he's twenty three at high able and the recent ch- uh, changes he's made. They're kind of dealing for a huge, uncertain, high ceiling guy that right now the Braves can't rely on to give back immediate value outside of trading them to win now. It's similar to me to what the Cubs did a few years ago when they traded for like Justin Wilson. You gave up Isaac Paredes and Jimer Condelario. It's like, all right, well, that trade sucked back then. I hated it back then. But you understand the thinking of the front office. They, at the time, had a deeper farm system and they needed a left-handed reliever. And so who knows what's going to happen in the next two weeks. Maybe Maybe a team needs a shortstop. Maybe a team needs a utility player or a third baseman. Maybe a team needs a starting pitcher and an injury happens or context changes and the Cubs can get back a, a prospect package that's going to exceed our expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so last thing on this, and then we'll you know move on to whatever. Some of this is a similar conversation. Um, but, you know, just like, I guess, last thoughts on, on Jock. Um he was a fun player to have, you know, didn't, didn't perform, um, you know, that well, obviously, but was fine. Uh, struggled at the beginning of the season after that hot spring, never really got that Homer binge. I think that, you know, we were all waiting for, but the heater that he did have, um, you know, in the, in the middle of, uh, that first half of the season was a lot of fun. Uh, so when he is hot, he's a, a very fun player to have. And, uh, you know, for a guy that I think you and I both did not like, uh, is probably putting it mildly, when he was a member of L.A., 
very fun player to have, and I, I think you can see uh, in in his how he goes about things day to day, his attitude throughout uh, the season, and things like that. Um, I think you can see why so many people talk so highly of him, and and you know a lot sure. of uh, LA fans that I know, even you know ones on Twitter, were very sad to see him go were, you know, very kind of like reassuring when the Cubs signed him that we were going to enjoy him. And I and I would say that was the case. So, uh, you know, not like the, the biggest loss, uh, you know, we've ever suffered and certainly not the biggest loss we're going to suffer in you know, probably the next few days. Uh, but Jock was a fun player. I think he, uh, you know, for his purposes, I think he did uh, all that he could to kind of make this work on his end, sure. um, you know, and, uh, and so yeah. it was it was fun to have him for a few months. Can, can, I, can I be honest with you, though, Corey? Like, you know, he's here for three months. Um, I don't really care that, he, that he's gone. Yeah, like, no, yeah, that's I res- fair. I, res- I, re- I respect him. I mean, yeah, his personality was fun, but I will remember Jock Peterson for, like, killing me in the for the Dodgers. That's, so, like, that's fair. For better or for worse, like, sorry, like, see ya. Like no, I, I, that is, that is totally fair. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. no, I'm, I did not uh, shed any tears over no. Jock leaving. Like I said, it just sort of, uh, you know, it kind of felt like one of those, like, okay, here we go. You know, like this is yeah. just the beginning of, of these tweets and these kind of uh, things. But no, I just, as he's uh, on his way out, I just wanted to say that it was, uh, it was a, you know, fine, you know, yeah. it was a fun I few got months. Some, I got, yeah. a, I got a little bit more respect for him. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. So, um, that's what it is. That's that's uh, you know the beginning of this trade season, I suppose. So, right. uh, let's talk about this weekend in Arizona. Um, so he- here's here's what I'll do. I, I don't think uh, you guys need the full rundown of these games because um, we're just sort of oriented to the future, uh, I guess. But just to give you you know some stuff that mattered over the course of this weekend. Uh, like I said, the Cubs winning two out of three. They won on Friday, five to one. Uh, a nice start from Kyle Hendricks. Nothing crazy. Uh, he did walk three guys, but that is his twelfth win of the year. So overall, you know, kind of shaping up to be a, a pretty nice statistical season for Kyle. That ERA now down to three point six five. Six innings, six hits, one earned, three walks, and four strikeouts. Solid from. Kyle Hendricks, we did see the big three in the bullpen on Friday, uh, kind of showcasing, I suppose, Uh, but just one hit allowed between the three of them, and that was by Tepera, but he struck out all, you know, he struck out three guys, uh, no walks, no runs, Chafin, no walks, no runs, one strikeout, Kimbrell, no hits, no runs, no walks, and two strikeouts. So from a showcasing perspective, I think Tapera's velo was down a little bit, which isn't great. Uh, but performance-wise, the the big three who stand to perhaps get you some nice stuff from other teams, uh, doing doing their job. No blow-up outings. That were that's that's really what we're trying to avoid here. Uh, on Saturday, it was a four to two win, a nice comeback win from this team, which is nice to see, you know, given the the circumstances of where they're at in the standings. It's it's still nice to see uh, them fight to the end uh, and, you know, led by Wilson Contreras. So the Cubs were down to their last out on Saturday, down two to one. Uh, Ortega doubled to keep things alive. And then Robinson Chirinos, who's hit, I, I, I suppose, Brendan, I, like I wish him. we had signed him earlier. I know. Because he's like at least him. hitting the ball well. Uh, and that's not... He looks like an actual player. Yeah. <laughs> a little late on that one, Jed. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
Yeah, so he singled to tie the game, and then Wilson Contreras hit a mammoth home run, his 14th of the year, to put the team ahead. Wilson was pretty pumped, uh, kind of taking a a little bit of a leadership role, Wilson Contreras is. Some more quotes on Sunday, just kind of putting his head down, wants to to see that effort and just try to win ball games. So uh, Respect. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, something we'll talk about in a second here, uh, is Adbert Alzali, as we've noted many times. His development is one of the most important things going on here. Uh, five innings, five hits, two earned, two walks, and two strikeouts. Some interesting stuff with his pitch mix uh, and his continued work to be better against lefties and limit the home run ball, which he did on uh, Saturday. You know, this D, the D-backs are very bad, so read into that however you want, but we got to evaluate the progress where we do. Only 69 pitches in this game for Alzali, so nice. something also to uh, take note of. And then on Sunday, the Cubs losing uh, 6-4 to to Arizona. I think the main thing of note perhaps in this one, Javi and KB looked really good in this game, had a couple of instances where the Cubs scored runs with those two guys getting back-to-back hits. Uh, both both of them two for four in this game. Javi with two RBIs, KB with a single RBI, and then uh, Zach Davies, four and two-thirds, six hits, two earned, four walks, and three strikeouts. So similar to what we've seen uh, a lot from Zach Davies, too many walks, just an inability to kind of command that strike zone, uh, especially against a not-so-great lineup. I'm, I'm mentioning that because he seems like someone who's probably going to be traded. Uh, as we've noted, you know, as, as frustrating as some of his starts have been, he's got a 4.3 ERA uh, and, you know, is a, a guy that has a, a lot of experience pitching in the big leagues. And I, I think one, one thing I would caution, and I, I think I've said this on things before, sometimes you have to really watch other teams to know like how bad other teams have it, right? And and what I mean by that is, like, I think to some, you know, when you'd be like, well, maybe the Cubs can get an interesting prospect for Zach Davies, right? And and maybe an even more interesting one than they got for Jock. Some people's initial reaction is, why, why would somebody want Zach Davies? You just read off where he was walking more people than he struck out against the Arizona Diamondbacks. What I'm saying is, go look at who <laughs> some teams have to start uh, every fifth day or whatever, because there there is not a lot of starting rotation depth uh, throughout the league. It is not, uh, the, you know, the Cubs have had that problem perhaps more than most, but they are not alone in having that problem. So someone with as much experience as Davies, who's, uh, you know, got a, an, you know, an okay ERA, like I think he'll be valuable to somebody. So that is pretty much uh, the story of the weekend in Arizona. I, you know, I think other than paying attention to everybody's performance, you know, of course, we're still watching guys like Nico Horner, guys like Ian Happ to see kind of what's going on with their development. I think Saturday's start with Alzali is perhaps the most interesting thing of the weekend, Brendan. He, he was doing some interesting stuff. So I'm going to cede the floor to you here. Alzali is throwing cutters, Corey. The cutter is nil. He whipped out the cutter in his start before last start. I missed it. I'm not sure how I missed it. Maybe it was classified as a slider, um, but I missed it. So he threw about 20% sliders in his July 8th outing right before the All-Star break. That was the the first time he relied on the slider that much. Almost all of the sliders that start thrown to left-handed batters. In his recent start against the Diamondbacks, he threw 14 cutters, uh, 20% of his entire repertoire that day. 
all of them, but one, two left-handed batters. He was asked about uh, some changes he's made in the postgame, and he said he felt like his fastball command and his cutter command was sharp in his recent bullpens. That's the change they're trying to make with Alzelite to have better success or even any success against left-handed batters right now. We knew that was the issue going into this month. Most of his home runs were given up to left-handed batters. He's been dominating righties. The left-handed issue has just been a problem for him most of the season. So that's what you're going to be looking at as the year goes along. I thought the changeup would be the target against lefties. I thought that would be used a little bit more because he was using that just a little bit more. Um before the all-star break but clearly that's not what they're going to do they're going to go with the cutter see if that works for them maybe they have more maybe he has more command with the cutter uh up and into lefties and maybe it's harder for lefties to pick up than that uh, a little bit more of a breaking slider pitch to lefties and some good pitches some good sliders were getting hit for home runs especially in that in that cincinnati start so that's what you're looking at with Adber. His velocity looked great. His command looked great. And if he's going to be throwing a slider, then you can add a sinker, a four-seamer, a slider, a cutter, a curveball, and changeup all to his pitch mix. That is six pitches. He's been throwing mostly sliders, mostly sinkers all year. He showcases a four-seamer every now and then. He showcases a changeup, you know, maybe three to five times a game. And that curveball that he was known for as he was coming up is taking the back seat. You don't really see that anymore. So maybe he brings that back out once he gets more comfortable developing that cutter. Maybe we don't even see that curveball until next year. But that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a guy who's now comfortable with another pitch, and that pitch is his cutter. Keep looking for that against left-handed batters. Uh, What you're looking at there is a pitch with some horizontal breaking action that's thrown about 89 to 91 miles per hour. And go look back at that Diamondback start. Uh, Some really well-located cutters at 90 miles per hour in at the wrist of left-handed batters. There is a, a few weekly hit grounders to the first base side. Um, that was impressive. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I think already you're seeing what the Cubs are doing, and we talked about it a few episodes ago. Look, what will they do to these guys to get them on track to be more reliable and projectable for 2021? For Adbear, it's attacking lefties, and right now doing so with cutters, Corey. I think he threw uh, some of those cutters up and into lefties in this start against the Diamondbacks, got some nice jam shots on a few of them. And, you know, this is just a process with Adbear. And I, I think it's uh, fascinating to watch. And, you know, again, like really the rest of this season for him, I think, is just about continuing to make these adjustments. You know, like, like Brendan is saying, you're seeing him mix in different pitches, trying different things. And, you know, they're they're problem solving, right? Like they, they've seen some of what the issues are for him and, and predominantly that has been giving up too many home runs and needing to find better ways to attack left-handed hitters. And you just want to use this time to get answers on some of that, certainly at least get some more data on the best way to go about these things so that when you show up for spring training next year, you know, you're ready to have Adber be a a very significant portion of this rotation. I don't know where he's going to slot in when we start 2022. Is he going to be looked at as the number two starter, the number three starter? I have no idea. Um, but that's what these next few months should hopefully offer a little clarity on. And I think it's, 
you know, the one thing that has been exciting to watch from him is his ability and, you know, willingness to make these adjustments, to develop new pitches, and to clearly, like, go through this thought process with Tommy Hadovy and, and the rest of the pitching infrastructure for how to get over the hump on, on some of yeah. these things that have, have plagued his starts to a degree. You know, well, he, that was, that's what makes him so exciting, though, because he, he completely changed his yeah. career by listening and being open uh-huh. to Tommy Hadovy and getting that sinker and slider as staples, and that's who he is now. So I'm always wondering what's next from Adbert. This is a pitcher who I think's who I think is the most open-minded pitcher publicly as fans that we've been able to watch. Yeah, and so I, I think that that's, that's a, a rather exciting thing. I mean, even just going back to this spring training, you know, we saw him, um, you know, really willing to sort of sit and learn from Arietta and kind of gather that veteran experience and, you know, mindset and things like that. Hopefully he didn't pick up too much from Arietta. you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, no, come on, I kid. But... Uh, <laughs> But, (laughs) you know, we've just seen him, like you said, Brennan, so publicly be available and willing to learn and willing to do whatever is necessary to make those strides. And so, um, you know, he is not a complete product just yet. He is not where uh, he wants to be, I don't think, or where we want him to be. But there, there is a lot to be excited about when you're talking about Albert Azalai, and I think with each start, you you sort of just hope that he continues to learn and continues to put this stuff together, and ultimately, like I said, by the end of the year and certainly heading into next year, you kind of have all of these these pieces, and you're beginning to kind of figure out how to put them together to create that that I don't want to say finished product, but that that more polished version of Alzali that is ready to jump into a full season as a top-tier member of this rotation. Ability for him to rapidly adjust, you don't even know what's next. And I like that right now in this Cubs' current development stage, the coaching staff and Craig Breslow, they need players with Alzali's mindset. And that's why I, I'm i pretty open and... and, and um, you know, in terms of me projecting him, pretty open with the idea that he's not a finished pro- uh, product, and that's a good thing because I think he's capable of developing other pitches based on what we've seen. That's three pitches now, man. Three pitches in less than a season that he's yeah. incorporated successfully. So what's next, right? You have to ask. You have to ask yourself the question: What's next? And what's next for Justin Steele? What's next for Keegan Thompson? All these guys with good stuff. And you look in Iowa right now; they have seven pitchers who are throwing at least 96 plus miles per hour in the bullpen so once to pair it if he's gone once chafin if or when he's gone they're going to be up and we're going to see them and we're going to see that possible 2022 uh bullpen audition and it's going to happen within the next three weeks yeah i think the the cubs have made some strides obviously we've talked about this before but in terms of their pitching development their ability to identify pitching and, you know, just to sort of like close the this portion of the convo on Alzali, like I think you, you know, you need players 
like that in today's day and age, right? Like there, there are definitely players who, uh, you know, know what they're doing. They've been doing it a long time. And, you know, you, you kind of go back to like John Lester, right? And, you know, he was never uh, a super analytical guy, but if you could kind of put it into either physical terms or just different terms, he was willing to listen to the information. But, with with younger guys and guys that are beginning their careers and you know still have that time to make complete significant adjustments you know you need guys that are willing to understand this information and if Tommy Hadavi says hey we're going to develop a cutter right like their answer <laughs> is yeah okay let's do it what do i need to do what you know what exercises what drills what practice do we need to be doing to make this work like I'm ready let's yeah. tinker right you you want guys that are, are available for that information available for all this technology and you know kind of willing to put that trust into the process that if I buy into all of this it's ultimately going to pay off for me or going to help you know in paying off the the rest of my career so and it's more fun too as a fan to follow that you want people like Ozlite to succeed and have all of the you know accolades and getting highlighted by pitching ninja all the hard work paying yes. off and it's it's a good look for younger guys to see that process pay yeah. dividends absolutely so um there's a lot of uh, a little bit still to cover here uh obviously there's a, a decent amount going on in the world of the chicago cubs quickly i yeah. i want to talk about this because it came up um okay but only quickly, because this is just, uh, this was like a one-off thought from John Heyman, uh, who is not one of my favorites. And there's no. a lot of reports, especially around this time of the year, that you never know the motive behind the person putting it out there. You never know where it came from or if it has any validity whatsoever. So I, I say that with all those caveats, but I do just want to discuss this maybe as an abstract thought, Brendan, not to put you know, too much credence into a report like this. Um, but Heyman did tweet that before exploring trades, the Cubs were interested in going back to Rizzo and Baez to discuss potentially locking them up. Okay. Um, now, one episode ago, you just heard this from Brendan and I, where both of us said that the priority for both of us would be extending the only person not mentioned in that tweet, which would be Chris Bryant. So my initial reaction to that is, well, this is wrong. <laughs> like, you, you've got the wrong guys in well, this. Well, not for Rizzo. Hold on. Not yeah, for Rizzo. You know what I mean. Yeah, I get it. Um, but I, I just wanted to get your initial reaction to to that idea. Like, let's say the value for KB is there. You get somebody offering, you know, you're, you're far apart on whatever an extension would be there, or he wants to hit the market and see what's out there with Boris, whatever. I, I don't know, right? Um, I will reiterate, though, anytime we talk about KB, I do want to reiterate for anybody listening, um, Evan Altman from CubsInsider.com has been in contact with uh, Mike Bryant for years. You can read a ton of really great interviews, really great insight from Evan and Mike on Chris's swing. Mike is Chris's hitting coach, has been his whole life. So a ton of great insight over at CubsInsider.com. But the reason I bring this up is if you are of any other belief than that Chris Bryant has 
and always wanted to remain a Chicago Cub, you are incorrect. And I don't say that as my opinion. I am, st- I am telling you, you are wrong if you think that Chris is mad about the grievance or he just is looking for money or he is mad at the Cubs front. You're, you're wrong. I'm telling you as a matter of fact, you are wrong. This entire time, he has wanted to remain a Chicago Cub. That's all I have to say about that. Just just make sure you have the proper information there, all right? Um, but what what if the plan was to... You're, you're going to get good value for KB, so you're going to pull the trigger on that because you're going to get some, some prospect haul from be it the Mets, the Nationals, the Braves, who knows, one of these teams that's desperate to sort of cement themselves as a playoff team. How do you feel about circling back with Rizzo, and Javi, and if the numbers are right, which at this point I would think Jed has a pretty clear idea of what he's willing to offer in these in these two scenarios, if you're looking at those guys as kind of uh, you know transitional blocks to this next period, as we've said many times, uh, you can extend some of these guys and not view them as the core, as we have for this last period. They can just be participants in in another World Series run. They don't necessarily have to be the leaders. But if the price was right, and it fit within the budget, and the Cubs were still going to spend in the offseason, or at least in the near future, how do you feel about that sort of path, uh, if they were taking that, if we are to believe, which I don't know that we are, uh, a report from John Heyman. I don't read that report as saying Chris Bryant's not going to be circled back to for a negotiation prior to the trade deadline. Boris controls the media. He has that media in his back pocket. We've seen countless times of all reporters at games hovering around Boris, Boris leaking information, all this stuff, right? Boris controls the narrative. So the fact that we didn't hear from Heyman that the Cubs would be coming back to KB doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Sure. Right? So I don't read too much into that in terms of KB. It is interesting that he put it out for Javi and Rizzo. I don't know why that's happening. They both have separate representations, so it's not coming from um, you know, two separate agents. It's got to be coming from one camp. I don't know what that camp is. For Javi, I, gotta, I don't know, man. I, I, I really don't. No, the market for shortstops is going to be pretty deep, this free agent market. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for Javi. I don't know what his asking price is. I don't know if it's $100 million, $80 million, $60 million for four or five I have years. I have, I have no idea. I am curious, though, of what the Cubs could get in a free agent market that's highlighted by Carlos Correa or Corey Seager or Trevor Story and what that money looks like in addition to Javi Baez, maybe the market after those guys sign leaves not many teams looking for a shortstop and the Cubs can swoop back in and get Javi at a cheaper rate than they could right now. So I'm more interested at this point exploring those possibilities than locking down Javi. I'm also, over the years, outside of that 2018, you know, the peaks and values for Javi have been huge. Mm-hmm. And in Major League history, there are no players with that walk rate and that strikeout rate. Um, that portfolio ages the worst by far. Not 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 even close. 
So I don't know if I'm comfortable even locking down Javi right now, especially given what we've seen in 2021. He's been good lately. His contact rate inside the zone, his last 50 plate appearances, has been 85%. That's about league average. He's been good. He's made adjustments, right? Are those sustainable? I have no idea. But it's not enough information for me right now to say, hey, Javi, here's $75 million for five years. I, I don't... I don't know. It's an uncomfortable situation. And I think if I had to be pushed to make a decision at this point, I'm probably trading them and I'm probably exploring Javi in the offseason in addition to the other options. I'm not closing the door on Javi, but I'm keeping that all my options open by entertaining the idea of having a different shortstop at, at, at this point. And that's just because it is brutal to project players like Javi. It's just you have to be realistic. You cannot project a player with that discipline because in history, there just aren't that many like like Javi. Yeah, I think that, uh, look, this is all extremely nuanced. Um, I just want to circle back. The the reason that I I say it's the the wrong player is, once again, I just believe, and I mean, he's performed this way, Chris is the best player of the three. So he's also going to be the most expensive. but I believe he's the best player, so that's the one I would prefer to be keeping. Um, that being said, you can probably keep Rizzo and Javi for potentially less money than KB is going to cost total. So I do understand in terms of figuring out who's playing on the team, perhaps that makes more sense from Jed Hoyer's perspective in working with a budget that we don't know. I sort of get that, right? Um, the biggest thing for me on these decisions, you, you, you guys listened to the episode where the, the Rizzo contract negotiations fell apart in the off season. You know how I feel about keeping Anthony, right? He's not having his best season. Um, I certainly get, you know, some of the aging concerns if we're speaking, uh, in a vac, you know, in a vacuum with our sort of, uh, emotional Cubs fan hat removed. I, I, I get talking about Rizzo, right? I understand it. Um, but I think he, I, I still, you know, cannot ever see him in another uniform. So I do still feel that way. Um, but the key here is exactly what I've been saying about what their role would be on these next teams. If the plan is to, in this hypothetical, keep these two guys, uh, on hopefully, you know, pretty like cheap feeling deals, right? Just because their performance has kind of fluctuated. Um, neither of them are performing at a level where it's like, whoa, they're going to cash in in the off season, right? For Rizzo, it's probably the opposite. For Javi, it's kind of up in the air. I don't really know. Um, if the plan is to keep those two guys and that's kind of the majority of your big spending, then, you know, no, that's obviously not a great way to go about things, right? If your plan is to keep them because they mean so much to the franchise, and then you're going to, as I've been saying, build around them where you're not relying on the two of them to kind of carry the offense, as we've seen, in addition to other guys, then yeah, I think that that's a fine strategy. Like you can keep the both of them for not as much as KB is probably going to cost, or it's probably going to be a pretty similar total number, right? So I, I I get that. And the two of them may be much more easy to negotiate with than KB at the moment, just given the uncertainties there. And KB is likely to 
bring back the biggest haul if that is what Jed is interested in and in you know continuing to fill up that pipeline KB certainly there's no question has more value than Javi or Rizzo does on this particular trade market especially because Chris has been playing so many positions so again like my preference is to keep Chris Bryant because I I've explained this before I think Brendan you agree with me so I don't need to go into that again um, but I think I'm fine if that was the strategy, if Javi and Rizzo were the priorities, it just depends on what the, the sort of bigger picture strategy is. If the, if the strategy is let's keep the, you know, the, the, the pessimistic view is let's keep these two guys, then we don't really have to spend that much going into 2022. We still have some familiar faces. The fans will still be mostly interested because of those guys. And this rebuild, rebuild, I don't like that word. Um, (laughs) This transition, you know, can go how, you know, it can be a little slower, right? And this will kind of satiate people for a little while. That's the pessimistic view. The optimistic view which again, at, at this point, I'm not sure, you know, the, the Ricketts deserve that optimistic view, but who knows, right? The optimistic view would be you keep these guys, everybody loves them, and they can be contributors on a good team if you put some better players around them. And sure. that's, Jed would have a ton of money off the books, even if you extended those guys, they would still be, I think we did this rough, you know, kind of back of the napkin math the other day, Brennan. I mean, they would still be like $90 million below the $200 million level. Um, Way more. You know, or, Way or those more. levels that the Cubs have operated at for several yeah. years since 2015, even if you extended both of those guys. So you would have mm, a lot yeah. of room to add significant players around them so that the offense doesn't revolve around them yeah so if it's that yeah sure great if it's the pessimistic view you know it it is what it is and you know that's that's obviously not uh a super exciting path forward but as has been the case with the three of these guys all the time it's got to be on the right the right value you know Jed's working with a budget, whatever it is. So for as much as I love all three of these guys, he's got to make decisions that ultimately get this team to a good place. But I I don't want any of these guys to be traded, right? Like I love these guys. So if there's a way to make this work that that ultimately works for the Chicago Cubs, great. I think Jed should, should explore that. I'm just not sure what that is. So that's sort of my way of answering without really giving you guys a full conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I want Rizzo back. And I think the price for him right now is not going to go above $100 million. I think you're around the 70, 90 million range. And for that, yeah, I mean, probably, probably doing it. Um, Javi, regardless of money, man, like I'm just looking at that shortstop market and it's hard not to compare each player to Javi. And I, I'm doing it. I compare story to Javi. It's like, all right, I probably am going to take the better plate approach for a four to five year contract with Trevor Story. I'm probably going to do the exact same thing with Carlos Correa and I'm going to do the exact same thing with Seager. Even with some of Seager's defensive issues, maybe you just swap him out and put Nico there if that's the case. And so I'm wondering, despite the money, even if it's like 15, 18, 20 mil a year for four or five years, I don't know if I want to do that with Javi. I don't know if that gives the Cubs the best chance to win, and I might just want to risk it. 
in free agency and then circle back to Javi in November and December and January. I, I don't know if it makes sense to lock him up right now. And even, just to give an example, even for like 65 mil over four years, sounds crazy, but can they do better with free agency and keep a and get a better competitive team with other shortstops? I think it's possible. And I'm kind of willing to, to, to risk it right now. I think it's a risk naturally going with his plate approach. And so, you know, it's a risk extending him. And it's a risk letting him test free agency. I that That's where I'm at. I've, I've grown exhausted of trying to project a player like Javi. And it's not a that's not a bad thing. I'm just personally exhausted of trying to figure out what makes the most sense for someone yeah. who's going to strike out over 30% of the time and well, have... Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think it's fair especially with the uncertainty of exactly what the Cubs are doing and like what their budget is going to be and what right. Jed's kind of internal timeline for all of this is. Um and I'm just talking about getting back to like competitiveness, like actually competitiveness, not necessarily like being a, a juggernaut like World Series or bust type deal. But I I given all of that uncertainty, I I totally get, you know, and I agree with you that like Javi is a, a, a confusing player in a situation like this because you're unsure of exactly who he is and how he's going to age and, and things like that. Just the realities of baseball. And a, a player like that, when you're not really sure what your team is doing, it's all, you know, it's, it's doubly confusing right? It, you're, you're not really sure exactly what the Cubs are, are doing here. So extending someone uh, for a potential, you know, lot of money that you're not really sure how to project for years going forward, yeah, like I, I, I totally get the, the trepidation there. It's, it's not exactly a clear-cut thing. But, yeah, but, but hold on, Corey, but if, if you send Javi for four to five years, you're expecting, as a fan, you have to expect your team has potential to be a juggernaut in three to four years from now, right? So the question is, do you want a 33, 34-year-old Javi when you are a juggernaut playing, paying $20 million for that? I, it's like, as I said, it all depends on, on how much money they're going to spend around the team. If, they're, if, if their plan is that that's the biggest contract. But we've and, seen kind of how that played out with, with Hayward, right? Hayward making $23 million on the luxury tax in a, in a juggernaut era, and that did restrict them. to Javi. I've done that, what, twice now? Twice. The, you got to yeah. stop comparing people to Jason Hayward, man. It's, it's, it's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm saying the context, it did restrict their luxury tax flexibility even in their prime budget yeah. years. So that's all I'm saying. I'm just trying to imagine like the face Javi would make if you were like, you compared my <laughs> offense to what? <laughs> like, okay. Um, anyway, Whatever. I don't know. Again, like, and I, and I hate, um, you know, the sort of wishy-washiness of some of these conversations because it, it, it ultimately so much of this depends on what Jed's timeline is realistically for this. Like he says publicly that this is not a rebuild by the uh, past definition of what the Cubs did in 2012 or whatever. Um, But not knowing that and not knowing when they're going to spend over the luxury tax again or spend near $200 million or things like that, it makes these conversations really, really difficult. Um, because I don't think Jen knows either, though, Corey. Well, that's that, yeah, that's right? uh, well, and we you know, know. And, and of course, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen with the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
that that is a legitimate concern. Um, you know, so there there's a lot. Like I said, it's a, it's a very nuanced thing. Um, that's kind of the the gist of of where we stand. I think I think the the things that are true of anything, regardless of that context, is given the way Rizzo has played and his age. I understand that Jed wants, if he's going to extend him, a, a, a particular number that he's comfortable with, right? I, I've already, Brennan and I have already done the rant about what Rizzo means to the team, the deal he was on in the first place, all that other stuff, and I believe he should be a Cub for the rest of his life. I understand, though, given all of these circumstances, what Jed is probably looking for, Right. And I think similar with Javi, they're different players, different situations, but, you know, sort of same thing. The inconsistency in Javi's game throughout the years, Jed is going to have something specific in mind that if it is team-friendly, if it works for him, they're, they'll be willing to do it. But otherwise, I understand if Jed is not interested. And, you know, that's yeah. another, uh, you know, familiar face that goes. The other thing that is true, if any of these guys are in trade talks, that includes KB, you've got to get big value to trade guys that Massive have such value. value to your franchise. And especially KB, who has, when he's been healthy, always performed at a very high level. You cannot trade these guys for pennies on the dollar right? We cannot have a a sentiment like we did after the Darvish trade. That was a very specific circumstance. And as I've noted, uh, some of those guys, Preciado, uh, Owen Casey, doing very well in, in the, you know, the levels that they're playing at. They're interesting prospects. So that deal is what it is. But there shouldn't be, if you're going to trade Chris Bryant, if you're going to trade Javi Baez, and if you're, I mean, the value on Rizzo almost certainly won't be there, but if you're going to trade Anthony Rizzo, not even just let him walk, trade him, you you cannot question the return, right? The return, Jed needs to nail those returns if you're going to move those guys. It needs to be worth it to this organization to say we are we're we're moving on or you know maybe we'll circle back in the off season but this is something that is going to be transformative for this organization so i think i think those are kind of like the the sentiments that i can offer you on these particular players now uh before we wrap up I just want to um, briefly touch on something that we've been keeping an eye on because we've been talking about this a lot. So I just I just want to keep checking in on this, um, and that is Ian Happ, um, because his development and his standing at the end of this season and going into next year probably informs some things. So uh, you know, Nico not necessarily tearing it up at the plate, seven seventy eight OPS, but he's hitting three twenty. So just keeping an eye on him, um, you know, so I think that's fine. You know, you continue to keep an eye on his development, but he's playing every day at second base. I don't think there's anything going on there that's, you know, raising any level of concern. So I think that's that's going well, you know, for the for the future and, and for Nico being the the second baseman going into next year. 
with Hap, it's extremely confusing. You want to talk about confusing. Uh, we can, you know, we, we talked about him in the last episode, so I really just want to do a check-in here. Um, but he starts the first two games of this series. He goes one for four with a strikeout in the first game, and then uh, 0 for three with two strikeouts and a walk in the second game, and then doesn't play in uh, the last game, save for a pinch hit appearance in which, you guessed it, he struck out. Um, So 181 batting average, a 617 OPS, Brendan. That is terrible. That is really terrible. Hitting the ball on the ground more, not barreling the ball as much. Um, His launch angle, you know, much more into the ground. Friend of the podcast, Matt Clapp at the blog finds on Twitter noted that his sprint speed is down. You'll recall uh, at various times, I think a couple of years ago, he's the fastest guy on the team in terms of just pure sprint speed, like, you know, home to first sprinting. Half was the fastest guy. So that's going away as well. So we kind of talked the other day about, well, would you consider sending him down? because he's not playing all the time. And uh, another friend of the podcast, uh, Ryan Tomier, brought up that he he wouldn't send him down because he's got to adjust against major league pitching. So if he goes down and starts hitting against guys in AAA, so what, right? Um, he's got to do it at this level. And, and the only counter to that I had was the only reason that I was suggesting sending him down is because Ross wasn't playing him a lot uh, to end the second half or the first half. And so we see him get two starts here. Um, I, I don't know if your your thinking would have changed in a week here, Brendan, but like what what on earth do you do with this particular situation? Because you've got, because really like here, here's what it is for me. And I, and I think you agree with this, Brendan. Like you've got a few months of baseball left. You have to have an answer by the end of the year. Either this guy is someone you're viewing as a starter going into next year. This is a, you know, fourth outfielder. You know, if he has to play second base at times, you know, he can do that in an emergency. Um, But we are not looking at him as a starter. Or do you reach a point where you're like, yeah, I I don't know about this. Like, I don't don't know if this guy's going to factor into our into our plans. You've got the time to figure this out, but but what is the best way to figure that out? The question that I'm asking myself is, can Ian Happ adjust right now, given the context? Is his current mechanics suitable for an adjustment right now? And if it's not, then does it make more sense to go to Iowa to make those mechanical changes, then come back up and showcase those changes? I don't know. They've done that in the past with Ian. They've done that in the past with Kyle Schwarber. It's a thing they do. So does it make sense to do it now in July? I have no idea. I'm at the point, though, that it is going to be really difficult for me and my confidence to project Hap in 2022, regardless if he stays up or goes down. We're like almost under 80 games um, to do to figure out what's going on here. So I, I don't know. I, I, I truly don't know. It's so disappointing, and I think the Cubs have no choice at this point than to not rely on Hap for 2022 in a starting role. Can he change it around if he gets more playing time? Maybe. I think maybe some of the logic as well is Ross is not starting him against pitchers that have had his number this year as a way to yeah, protect him. Yeah, you don't want to make it worse. Right. Yeah. So if that's the case, it's like, ugh. 
is there right. a clear-cut scenario? Can is does it like what scenario does make sense then? And that speaks volume to where we are at with Hap. He's had many months of really impressive performances at the dish, but it's hard not to ignore what we've seen from a contact race. Hard not to ignore his drop in athleticism. I mean, to be over a mile per hour slower in a matter of three years as a center fielder and as a defender who's not really that uh, impressive across the diamond, no matter what position he plays, it's like, all right, you know, he's going to be 28. It's not great. It's not or 27 rather it's not it's not yeah. great so i don't i don't know Corey. we have to follow it as the year goes along but at least from my point of view i i can't do it i i can't slot in hab as a potential starter for 2022 i think it makes sense maybe to bring it back in an arbitration role for like four and a half five million dollars as that like utility fourth outfielder option but i think they have no choice at this point unless hap drastically drastically turns it around to rely on him for 2022 yeah, I, I think I'm 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 with you there. You know, again, sort of depends on what their plan is for 2022. But um, yeah. this is a this is a massive step backwards. Um, and you know, at age 26, um, you know, he's over the 1500 plate appearance mark in 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 his career. Uh, still young. You know, has not necessarily been that kind of everyday player for too long in his MLB career. So. Um, you know, certainly don't want to um, give up on a guy or anything like that. You know, he's he's very talented and has shown a lot in his time in the majors, but it's, you know, you're just sort of being intellectually dishonest, I think, if you don't point out that this is a massive step backwards and, and the numbers at the moment just are not good and they have to be throwing up some, some red flags and some sort of... Uh, you know, code reds if, if you're the Cubs front office and kind of viewing things going forward because, um, you know, this is drastic, the the sort of uh, what we've seen in 2021. And it, it does not necessarily go in line with a lot of his career, but, you know, this is sort of the, the latest thing. And so you've, yeah, I, I think I, if you're going to keep him up at the major league level, it, it's the same conclusion. You got to play him. You have to let him try to adjust. You have to figure out what adjustments you want him to be making and let him try to do it at the MLB level. I, I, If he's not going to play, then I would consider sending him down so that he can at least be playing every day and trying to work through these things. Um, but at a certain point, you know, I just think the value is in seeing what you have there instead of, you know, necessarily like... Um, you know, playing Hayward every day or, or whatever it is. Like, you're just not you know, what are you learning there, right? Like, that doesn't necessarily impact your future too much. Hap might. And so either way, he's got to be playing and he's got to start adjusting uh, because he's got a few months here before the Cubs are going to have to kind of pick a lane with, with what they're thinking here for the future. Okay, let's preview the upcoming four-game sets against the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis. That first game starts Monday night at 7.15 p.m. Central. We have Alec Mills on the mound for the Cubs. Alec on the year is 4-2, and two, a 4.84 ERA. He'll be facing Jake Woodford for the Cardinals. Woodford on the year is 1-1 one one with a 4.62 ERA. The second game, Tuesday, same start time, 7.15 p.m. Central. Uh, the Cardinals have not announced their starter for that day, but the Cubs have, and Trevor Williams will be getting the ball. He, on the year, is 3-2 and two with a 5.51 ERA. On Wednesday, 
Kyle Hendricks gets the ball. He's 12 and 4 with a 3.65 ERA. Adam Wainwright will be getting the ball for the Cardinals. He's 7 and uh, 7 and 6 with a 3.71 ERA. That game starts again 7:15 p.m. to finish off this four-game set. Another night game, a 6.15 p.m. Central start time. Uh, Adber Alzali on the mound for the Cubs. Unfortunately, he's had a lot of losses this year by no fault of his own. So he's 4-9, a 4.59 ERA. For the Cardinals, they will be throwing out Kwon Hun Kim, who's 5-5, five five, a, a 2.87 ERA. He's been really good for the Cardinals this year. The Cardinals and Cubs share the same record. At 46 and 47, uh, both teams are nine games back of the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds are 48 and 45. They are seven games back of the Brewers and they are two games up on the Cardinals and Cubs. What I'm looking for this series, I'll continue to monitor Adber's new cutter. We'll be looking to see how often. Ian Hat plays, looking at Nico Horner, seeing how he looks coming back from that injury, if he consistently plays a second base. Looking at Wilson Contreras, we didn't talk about it this episode, but Willie's discipline has been really impressive the past few weeks. In his last 50 plate appearances, his outside the zone swing rate is only 20%. That is a huge improvement and a pretty big sample size for plate discipline. And then seeing how the Cubs use that bullpen. They didn't really use the big three that much against the Diamondbacks. They might be protecting them, not using them, exposing them to potential injuries ahead of the trade deadlines. That means other guys might get more opportunities that are not typically used in those situations. So eyes on the future. It's very possible we might see some trades in this next week. Very possible we might see some trades in this series. And that's where we are. It's a weird time to be a Cubs fan, but there are still... A lot of trends worth monitoring. Yeah, so keep an eye on those. As always, uh, you know, be prepared for stuff. Something is going to happen, right? Like, I don't know who's going to get moved, but there are going to be more trades. There are going to be more moves made. Uh, So just prepare yourself uh, accordingly. Prepare yourself emotionally, mentally, etc. And as you guys know, we'll we'll get through this together. At some point... (laughs) On this podcast, we will be talking about, uh, you know, the Cubs <laughs> fighting for the division or getting ready for the playoffs again in the future. I don't know how soon, but we'll we'll, we'll get through this together. As you know, Brennan and I will be here uh, after every series the Cubs play, breaking it down. And uh, the usual caveat this time of year, the Jock trade not significant enough. No offense to Jock or Bryce Ball, but that is not emergency podcast worthy. Um, what that standard is, is completely made up by me and Brendan, but that just wasn't it. And we will, you know, if certain things happen that do warrant that, if it's in the middle of a series, you know, on a Monday or whatever, we will record uh, a special episode and and break that down. Um, So be on the lookout for that. And uh, otherwise, we'll we'll catch you twice a week here talking about the Cubs and and whatever it is that they're doing. But we'll get this. We'll get through this uh, couple week period together. I promise, um, for better or worse. So as always, thank you guys for your support. This has been the Cubs related podcast. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Cubs. <laughs>